Father, we thank you that you have given us practical means of um, building our lives upon you and of being sheltered by you as a fortress. And the most prominent of those means is your word. You've given us these words in the Bible that are not like any other words, but that our spirit and their life and they really strengthen us because they're truth and they come from you and so god we pray that as we open your word now that you'd speak to us through it and that you would indeed help us to build our lives upon you we pray this in jesus name amen Mark, where are you, Mark? I had asked about um, using that the laser for the map. Um, do you think you'd be willing to point? Can, can would you be willing to point at the places for me as I read the text? Okay, thanks. So we are we're in Acts twenty-seven, friends, and uh, which means we're almost at the end of Acts. This is our third last sermon in the book of Acts. And so, just to recap for us, what's Acts? Book in the New Testament that tells the story of the advance of the good news of the kingdom of God from Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven, from there out toward the ends of the earth. And so Jesus' followers have been taking the message that Jesus Christ is King and he's Lord, that through him God has begun a new creation on the earth by triumphing over death itself, by bringing forgiveness of sins. And Jesus' followers are to announce to the world that's in bondage, there's life in Jesus. Come, follow him. Turn around, turn away from your present ways of living, whether you're worshiping another God or you don't believe in any God at all. Come, follow Jesus Repent of your old ways of living, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and a new life. And we've watched them take this message and meet resistance, but take it, and meet resistance, but take it, and every step along the way, be guided and blessed by God. And here we are, very near the end, and Paul is uh, about to get on a boat, and so you probably, we probably, everybody's heard the, the, the storm metaphor in our worship service this morning. So far, the songs we've been singing. And Paul's about to encounter a storm. So we're going to read that story in Acts 27. And what page is that on, Vic? 1739. Okay. Um, while I'm reading, you can follow along in your Bible, or if you'd like, can you flip the screen here, guys? Um, this is a map, and... Do you have that laser? Are you able to, sh- you're gonna, sh- where are you gonna shine it? Can you shine over here at the bottom right by Judea? Okay. This is where uh, we're gonna start. And if you see that red line that goes all the way across, Mark's following it, all the way across up to Rome, that's the journey that Paul's gonna take. And he's, from today, this ship journey is gonna take him from Judea on the bottom right of the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to Malta, which is just 
keep going, keep going, keep going. Malta's right there, just um, underneath the boot of Italy. That's where they're going to end up shipwrecked today. But they're going to cross the whole Mediterranean Sea in this voyage. And um, as I'm reading, Mark, if he's able to see the stuff on the screen, he'll point, he'll point at the various places that um, Paul's referencing so you can kind of track the journey. It's just interesting to see um, where they are when things are happening. So you can follow the screen or you can follow the reading and the screen. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion, that's a Roman centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, that's probably one of Paul's earlier converts, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, that's just north of where they took off, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed Across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian, that's a Greek ship, sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lasia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. It's a way of marking the time by saying it's in the fall, winter's coming. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, that's a place in northern um, Egypt or northern Africa that was really famous for its shallow sandbars that sh- ships would get, get wrecked on all the time. 
uh, and they, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor, or the sails is another translation, and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate food as much Oh, this is a different translation. Um, this my, this translation says, ate some food themselves. Uh, another translation said, as much as each one wanted. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. 
The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. The word of God. Just under uh, 10 years ago, shortly after we'd moved into our, the house that our family's living in right now, uh, Peter was about three, Sarah was about two, and the twins were in Anne's tummy. And we had one of those um, late spring, early summer storms that just rocks uh, the skies. And they were, they were predicting tornadoes, and it was... Uh, it was uh, Scary evening, to say the least. It's probably the scariest storm that I've had the privilege. I like storms, so privilege of, um, <laughs> of, of living through. But I remember distinctly that, uh, we went down to the basement because they were calling for tornadoes. It was dark out. We couldn't, there were, there were tornadoes hitting the ground in the area. We, you couldn't tell where anything was going to hit and it was very, very stormy outside. And then at one point we're in the basement and I realized, oh shoot, I think I left a bunch of windows open and I had to go upstairs to close windows and just that feeling of, um, the lightning was like moving sideways in the sky, lighting everything up constantly and uh, not knowing like is something coming. I mean, there's strong, strong winds blowing trees and it's like you can hear the trees moving, the lightning striking, it's dark outside and I was scared. I was, I mean, I don't get scared by storms easily, but I, that was a scary moment. And I thought about that moment as I was reflecting on this text because I was kind of comparing them and I was thinking, well, I was scared, but I had solid ground under my feet. And I had a basement to go into. And um, that storm lasted about three hours. These guys were driven across open sea for 14 days. And this was such a severe storm that they're tying ropes underneath the ship to hold it together. I mean, you listen to the language that Paul uses. He says, they're being driven along by a wind of hurricane force. Now, I don't think many of us have been in that, but we've all seen it because we, Florida and the, and, uh, the, the Gulf of Mexico keeps getting hit by hurricanes. Thank you. Um, and so we've seen the videos of hurricane wind force. You can barely stand up in it, right? I mean, people, other than the reporters who kind of fake it to make it look good, um, real people who are caught in hurricanes are blown over. You can't stand up in that. And they're driven along by a wind of hurricane force for 14 days. So the ship is being battered, says Paul. So battered that they start tossing their cargo overboard. That's bad. That says... We're throwing money into the ocean and we don't care about the consequences of the people that we've got to report to. We're that concerned about our life that we're throwing cargo overboard. And then when it's not getting better after day two, they're starting to throw the tackling overboard, 
which is an odd word in, that, that can actually mean multiple different things. It can mean that they're throwing the ropes and extra sails and the ship supplies over. So the things that they would use to sail, although we see later on they've still got a mainsail. But it can also mean they're throwing the furniture of the ship overboard. In other words, they're lightening the ship to get rid of anything that would weigh it down because the more it weighs, the more it's at risk of being overrun or flipping. They're throwing beds into the, into the sea. That means they're in desperation mode, and that's on day two of this 14 days of being driven by hurricane force wind. So if there's hurricane force wind, people aren't up on the deck. And if they are, it's very few of them. So think about this for a minute. We got 276 people in the hold or the bottom of a ship that is probably very dark, damp, smelly. They don't have beds to sleep on. The ship is being tossed back and forth and it's not three hours and it's not three days and it's not stopping for 14 days? This is, this is scary stuff. These, I imagine that in the hold of that ship, the mood is dark and it is despairing. I imagine that because this is mostly men and men don't typically know how to deal with their emotions very well and things usually come out like anger, there's a lot of anger. I imagine people are short. Their fuses are short because they're being faced all of a sudden with, I could die. We could die. I don't want to die. I'm not ready to die. I mean, can you feel this? It's, it's, it's scary. It's tense. It's dark. And what's most striking about it to me is that all of this is taking place. All of this is being experienced because they didn't listen to the voice of God. God saw, God knew that they were going to experience the storm. God cared. And God spoke through Paul. When Paul says to the ship's captain, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo. He's not speaking as an, uh, a master of the seas. This is not his trade. He's a tent maker. And he's a bound uh, prisoner of the Roman Empire on this ship. He's not speaking from a place of authority. He's speaking from a place of having been with God and having received what we might call a word of knowledge or a gift of the Holy Spirit, like God spoke to him and God showed him. When he said, I can see, it's because God's shown him that that this voyage is going to be disastrous. And he shares it. And I can you imagine the heart of God? God loves these people. God doesn't want to see them perish. And so in his love, he speaks to Paul, and Paul shares this word, and it's not listened to. And because they don't listen to the word that comes from God, they end up in this horrible, storm-tossed, scary, near-death experience. Friends, this is the human story. This is a picture 
of the human story. This is a picture of what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden when God, who knows and loves and sees, said, you can have all of this, but don't take from that tree. Because if you do, surely you'll die. God saw, God knew, God cared for them, didn't want them to experience the result or the consequence of that. And he spoke it and they ignored his voice and they cast the rest of us, the rest of the human family, out into a storm-tossed existence. This is the story of hundreds and thousands of people in our lives, right outside these church walls, in this neighborhood, storm-tossed, and in that same place as these sailors of about to give up hope, not able to see the light of day, completely without any courage or encouragement, because, and for many of them, they don't even know that there's a God who sees and who cares and who wants to speak and give guidance and bring life, and there's an ignoring of the voice of God, and it leads to storm-tossed, discouraged existence. But it's not just out there. It's not just for those who aren't in Christ. It's also a picture of what happens in our lives here in the church when we ignore the voice of God. God says to us, forgive as you have been forgiven. He says that because he cares for us. But he also tells us in scripture He gives us a parable and he says, this is what it'll be like for you if you don't forgive. It'll be for you like it was for this unmerciful servant whose king finds out that he didn't forgive as he was forgiven by the king and he gets handed over to the tormentors to be tormented until he can pay back what he owes. And so... That's a picture of how we will be tormented, not by God, but he allows us to be tormented by evil or unclean spirits when we don't operate by his Holy Spirit and do what his Holy Spirit would lead us to do, which is to forgive. So when we resist God, when we don't yield to him, when we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness and malice and anger and rage, we're not operating by the Holy Spirit. Now we're operating by another spirit and we're being oppressed and tormented. And we wonder why our life is like a storm-tossed ship. And why we don't have encouragement. Why we're not strengthened and of good courage. Why we can't see the light of day. See, just one example. Another one is, God says to what the single most, most repeated command in all of scripture is, don't fear. Do not be afraid. From the beginning of the Old Testament through to the end, God consistently says by, their, by, by himself, by angels, by his word to people, he says, do not be afraid. And that command comes to his people because we're to be rooted in the knowledge of who God is as good, as sovereign, as one who cares and who provides and who says, I know your needs I take care of the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. How much more won't I take care of you? And yet, all so easily, we let fear in in the form of anxiety. Starts with anxiety. 
and we entertain it. What am I going to do about? What's going to happen when? How am I going to get such and such? What if so and so do and say such and such? What about this relationship? And anxiety comes in and anxiety turns into fear and we partner with those things. In other words, we agree with, we come into agreement with them rather than being in agreement with the Spirit and the Word of God who says to us, don't be afraid. Don't let it in. We let those things in. And what happens is we start getting storm-tossed and we get to a dark, stormy place and we wonder how and why we got here. We ignored the voice of God. God says in His Word, Don't look to man for approval. Don't look to get your sense of identity, whether you have value and worth as a person from other people. You get that from me. You're created in my image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we let ourselves start to need the affirmations and the words, and the approval of people that mean a lot to us. And it's not that giving encouragement is a bad thing. We ought to encourage one another. But when we start looking to the words and the things that other people would say for our sense of identity, and how it is with our soul, if how I am depends on whether people say the right things to me, I end up in a dark storm-tossed place. Okay, these are just a few examples. I could go on and on and on with examples of how we ignore the voice of God and end up in a place that parallels where these guys are on the ship. And the point is that we, if we get in that place, just like them, we're stuck. We put ourselves in a place where we're stuck and where the only thing that's going to get us out is the grace of God reaching in, meeting us where we are, coming and bringing light, bringing encouragement, bringing hope, coming to our rescue. And I want to say that what I find the most beautiful about this story or this text this morning is this, that in the darkness of this storm on this ship, there is one person, at least one person, who does not look like all of the others. There's one person who hasn't given up hope. There's one person that's ridden out 14 days in the belly of a smelly, storm-battered ship and has peace. And that's Paul. Listen to this. Everybody else has given up hope completely given up hope of being saved. And at that point, Paul says these things. I urge you to keep up courage. How can he, how can he urge what he doesn't have? He's got courage. He's got courage. 14 days they've been tossed. They've thrown everything overboard. There is no hope of being saved. He's got courage. I urge you to keep up your courage. Not one of you will be lost, only the ship. He begins to speak prophetically of a future that they can't see. 
They can only see the storm taking the ship and them losing their lives. They've given up hope. Paul's got a picture of a different future. And he starts to minister hope. The prisoner turns into the priest. The one who's got no status is now rising up and he's bringing hope to everybody else. I encourage you, I urge you, keep up your courage. Nobody will be lost. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. It's the third time God said this to him in a number of chapters. And then he says, And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith. Not you have faith. Not you 275. I've got faith. What happens when one person has faith? I've got faith. And then he says, nevertheless, we must run aground. And so he gives another prophetic word. He's obviously God has shown him again. They're going to run aground somewhere. So you see Paul moving up into this place of leadership on the ship. And then Luke goes back to the details of the storm. And the storm plays out, like Paul said. And uh, again, Paul's giving direction. The sailors are about to leave. Paul's got more, another word of knowledge. If they don't stay with the ship, we can't be saved. There's one man in the middle of the storm that's connected to God. That's receiving revelation from God. And because he's doing so... Everybody gets to get saved through him. If they don't stay, we don't get saved. And now the ship's captain and the centurion, the people in power, are listening. Before they weren't listening. It's often the case that we won't listen to God before the storm hits. But when the storm hits, we'll turn to God. And praise God, there's somebody modeling in the middle of the storm what it's like to travel through the storm, connected to God, and listening to him. And they can see that model in Paul. They can see in him, you aren't affected by the storm the way that the rest of us are. You don't look like the rest of us. You've got something in you in the storm. And now that something in him has put or propelled him into a place of leadership where the highest ups are listening. How did that happen? That the prisoner got to be the one who's giving directions and is leading. And so they run, they they um, cut the anchors. And then just before morning, they're all praying. And this is incredible. Paul stands up and he speaks to all of them and he says, for the last 14 days you've gone been in constant suspense and you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You'll need it to survive. Again, he's giving leadership. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Whose words are those? Whose words? Yell it out. Jesus. Jesus said those words. Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is living in Paul and the same words are being spoken. Paul believes them. They probably lost a lot of hair in the previous 14 days. That was really stressful. But Paul believes so much where there's no hope. You can't see a way through this situation. There's no human way that it can be solved. And Paul says, not one hair is going to fall from your head. Again, he's speaking prophetically. And he's he's speaking from a place of faith. And if they will receive what he's bringing, they will have faith. You've, 
this is an important sub-point. If you want to grow in the Lord, you've got to be willing to receive from people in the Lord who are ministering. Somebody can be full of power and of the Spirit of the Lord, but if you aren't receiving from them, you won't get anything. So Paul's bringing something. He's offering a gift of faith, and they receive it. And then he says to them, he takes some bread, and he gives thanks to God in front of them all, and he breaks it. And they begin to eat. And when they'd eaten as much as they'd wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. The words that are used here are an exact parallel to when Jesus breaks bread in the Gospels and feeds 4,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And I just cannot help but wonder, between the fact that they couldn't eat for 14 days, why couldn't they eat? I'm just gonna, I, we don't know, but I'm gonna guess that on a ship that's being battered by hurricane force winds, it's kinda hard to keep a fire going. Between the fact that it's moving and that they felt like they had to put ropes underneath to hold it together means there's probably water in the bottom of the ship. This is a wet place. It's a, it's moving a lot. I don't think they can make, like, they've got grain on the ship. Why else are they not eating? They can't make the grain into bread. It's my guess. But somehow they've got a loaf of bread. They've got enough to start with. I don't think they had enough to feed 276 people. Otherwise, I can't explain why they wouldn't eat any earlier. These aren't people that are given to fasting. Okay. So I think Paul's got a loaf of bread. Somehow there's a loaf of bread. And I think we're seeing a miracle manifested by his faith. He breaks it. He gives thanks to God, just like Jesus did. And he distributes it. And, it, and the language says, and they all ate as much as they wanted which is exactly what happened in the Gospels. And I think it's that act of seeing the bread multiplied and everybody eating that creates faith in their hearts to be able to do the thing of running the ship aground and for many people who can't swim, trying to swim, get on things and get to the shore. Ah, This is incredible. From a chained prisoner to a spiritual leader, and I just think, how amazing is this? That 276 people get saved. I mean, physically saved. I think a bunch of them got spiritually saved through this. The text doesn't tell us. But 276 people got saved because one man, one Christian... And the Bible says there's no difference between any Christians. One Christian on his way. This isn't even his assignment. He's just on his way to his assignment in Rome. Was listening to the voice of God and was willing to be a vessel of God. He didn't have to stand up and take leadership. He didn't have to minister to everybody. He could have just ridden it out. But by the grace of God, he was emboldened to step up into that place, to use his voice in a situation where it wasn't being asked for, wasn't necessarily welcomed, actually was ignored the first time, but he kept using his voice to represent the Lord One person, 276 people. Who does God 
want to save and touch on the way to our assignments. Who, who is experiencing storms around us, beside us? Who in our workplaces, who in our schools and in our classrooms, who in our families are caught up in storms that we are with because we're with them in the family and we're with them in the workplace and we're with them in the school and we're with them in the classroom and we're with them on the streets and in friendship. Who does God want to save and bring hope to through us? That's a good answer, Patricia. Everyone. And the question is, what then will it take? This is where we'll end. In this text, it took one person who was not just a Christian by name, but who had a deep walk with God an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ in which he was regularly with him and through which he regularly heard from him. Paul had words to bring to people because he was with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, and the Holy Spirit was bringing those words. Paul was able to embody the hope of the kingdom of God. There's no place that's ever too dark. No place where we ever run out of hope. No obstacle too big. No storm too strong. Because of what lived in him and how he lived in Christ. And so this morning, Jesus Christ says to us afresh, I want every member of my body to live in this kind of abiding relationship with me. And I want to minister through you in the same way. There are no first, second, or third class citizens in the kingdom of God. We can hold Paul up as an example, but we can't hold him up and say he's super spiritual. I could never be like that. Remember the scripture says about Elisha in James, when when Elisha caused it to not rain for so many years by praying and then caused it to rain again by asking God for rain. He was a man just like us, it says. But he prayed fervently. Let's commit ourselves, and I'll just lead us into silent prayer, to being those people who are so full of the grace and the hope of the gospel That wherever we go, no matter what storms, God is able to speak and to use our voice to work through us. That we know him that deeply, we're yielded to him. And we are vessels through whom he is saving other people. I kept thinking as I meditated on this text, what if Paul wasn't on this ship? It's not that God loved the 275 any less. But if nobody's listening to him, how will they hear? 
we will be those who listen to him. Let's pray. Lord, as we listen to this word from you this morning, we're in many different places. Some of us are in the middle of storms and need to acknowledge that we've not been listening to you and we need to repent and come back to you this morning. Others of us are in the middle of storms and we hear you speaking very clearly, strengthening us, filling us, assuring us, All of us, Lord, are hearing you say that you desire, you enjoy, you long to work through us, to speak through us. And so, Lord, we pray afresh. Make us a people. Make us men and women and young people, children, who know you deeply, who are vitally alive and connected with you, who are growing in hearing you and bringing words that can bring life to others. Lord, we thank you that even in asking you this, we know that it's what you long to do. And so do whatever it takes to bring this about in our hearts and in our lives. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we go from this place, would you hold out your hands to receive this blessing? The Lord bless you to be rooted and established in his relentless love. The Lord bless you to hear from him, to receive from him, to abide deeply in him, and to share that which he's given to you for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.